This episode of the Blue Hawaii Podcast is brought to you by Royal Thai Garden of a Beach. Royal Thai Garden of a Beach, the freshest, the dopest, the absolute tastiest, I can't think of a word that rhymes with dopest, Thai food in the... Nopest. The, well, no, if, you, you, it's if you were going to... Certainly not the nopest. Were, oh, wait, hold on. If you were Royal Thai Garden, the freshest, the dopest, the certainly not nopest Thai food on the island. And that is a commercial. Mention the Blue White Podcast, get 20% off your entire order. Wow. Folks, this is why he gets paid the big bucks. He's good. And we back. 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 Hey. Well, we're back. It's finally over. The hiatus. The summer break. Summer. Summertime. And the living is not easy. The living was... Very stressful this summer. <laughs> uh, we did. We took our summer break, and it was uh, relaxing because we did not have to worry about making sure that a bunch of people that we don't know in real life actually care about what we say. But spoiler alert: they still don't care. They still don't care. Yeah. Um, I right. saw this. You were at the uh, UH game this Saturday, right? Your GD right. I was. Our bows kicked off the season, the 2019 college football season, mm-hmm. with an amazing, immaculate win against the, the hated. The Arizona Wildcats. Who we had never beaten before. Yes. A very good team. We UH, okay. UH pulled it out 45 to 38 at the last second. Here's what it sounded like. Late in the night, everybody at the table is all in. Tate. They're going to take Stepping their shot up. here. Five seconds. He Tate. can go. He on can go. Road. He Tate. can do this. He's it's going to have to You know, I was thinking about this, you know, to commemorate this historic victory down uh, by the stadium, you know, maybe over at Pearl Harbor. We should have some sort of memorial. Do you mean... To our victory over Arizona. Would you... What would you call it, though? We could call it maybe the Arizona Memorial. Let's do a drop! Hey, we'll be right back. Yeah. We often hear holiday meaning white person in a negative connotation, but is a perfectly good word. It means foreign introduced to foreign origin or foreign introduction. Welcome to Blue White Podcast. I'm Ryan Little. I'm Josh Michaels. And if it's not too soon to do an Arizona Memorial joke, it's it's too soon to ever do any joke ever. It's been 60 years. <laughs> if more than that. But no, 60 years is the minimum. <laughs> okay. That's not because I just can't do math. <laughs> yeah, you know. Um, so, folks, we have an exciting interview coming up for you very shortly. We sat down with Sandy Sukiyama. Josh's absolute idol. My, the you know, the, the literal the, person that when we started this podcast, he goes, do you think we could get Sandy Sukiyama from the Brazilian experience? The, the queen of Hawaii Public Radio. I would say that I am. Uh, my reaction would be, obrigado. And you, benvindo oh. to this oh, you're pandering marveloso to Brazilian crowd. episode of Brazilian Experience. We are having a Brazilian experience. We are at Hawaii Public Radio Studios about to talk to the a woman living herself. Legend, yeah. A living legend of Hawaii Public Radio as soon as she gets here. Which is now. Back in a moment. Blue Hawaii. Olá, minha gente. Bem-vindos a Blue Hawaii Podcast. Sou eu, Sandy Tsukiyama, com vocês. Agora vamos falar. Oh my God! Oh, it's happening, folks. It's Ladies happening. and gentlemen, welcome back to the show. This is an absolute treat. We are coming to you from the Atherton Performing Arts Studio 
at Hawaii Public Radio. And we are extremely lucky and privileged to be joined by the host of HPR's Brazilian Experience, Miss Sandy Sukiyama. Brazilian Experience broadcasts Sundays from 6 to 8 p.m. on HPR One, the best of Brazil, from Bossa Nova to Favela Funk and everything in between. Sandy Sukiyama, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for being here. My pleasure. Uh, before we make this, you know, all about us and we start gushing about how much we like the show, which we've already done off air, um, would you mind telling us for the audience a little bit about your story, a little bit more about what your story and how you came to do what you do? Well, I was nine years old when The Girl from Ipanema came out, and it brings back memories of cooking class at the Richard Street YWCA. <laughs> and I heard the song, and I thought, where in the world is Ipanema, and what was this strange accent this woman was singing in? And then there were songs like Blame It on the Bossa Nova that came out, and, and so... I always knew that I had family in Brazil as well on my mother's mother's side. And so this goes into history mm. and uh, coffee and, uh, yeah, the world immigration and uh, mi migration. So a lot of what's going on right now in, yeah. in this country and the world has to do with why the Japanese went to Brazil. Mm -hmm. So that's a whole other story. But... That's one part of you know, my family life. And then uh, when I was, I believe I was, I was probably a junior in college at UH. And that KTUH FM would wake me up mm -hmm. every morning. And there was a jazz show at that time. And so I remember hearing some bossa nova. And it was probably Joan Gilberto's voice singing. And since I had studied Spanish for a long, a long time, I could understand at least half of what he was singing about. And so my mind went back to hearing the girl from Ipanema. I mm. said, yeah, I know that's from Brazil. I remember that sound. And, you know, I know I have family there. And so this, that kicked off this um, strong desire to want to go there. Yeah. And so from there, I... I decided to study the, the two semesters of Portuguese that they offer at UH. Well, no, now they, they offer more than that, but I took what I could. And so from there, the, uh, I made friends with the Brazilian students on campus. We go hang out at their houses, eat their black beans, listen to their records. And we had LPs in those days. Borrow them, tape them on my reel-to-reel -reel hey. <laughs> deck. And the fire just never went out. Awesome. And that's, um, what's it like having your own radio show? What's the, what's the weekly routine like on public radio? Well, are they hiring? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, they just might. <laughs> the, the show already existed before I took it on. I didn't invent it. It was hosted by the late Don Gordon, who had an evening uh, program with uh, jazz. It was called Jazz with Don Gordon. Mm -hmm. It's in the slot that Charles Husson's Evening jazz is in now. And then he would do this one hour of Brazilian music on Saturdays. And so he named it Brazilian Experience. And there was a time that, that HPR had one of the nationally syndicated shows, um, Brazilian Hour, mm -hmm. which you can still hear. It still exists. And um, so that was, that was really good, listening to that. But uh, yeah, they don't have it anymore because we've got our program. 
but I went to sit in as a special guest once with Don, and I took some of my own CDs, and and then once I sat uh, shotgun with him during one of the, the pledge drives, mm -hmm. and I just realized, oh, that was so much fun. And then one day, Don got very ill, and Ray Cruz called me up and said that Don was going in the hospital and he was going to have surgery and I have to take his show. And no I pressure. Was, no, I was teaching full time at, at that time. And uh, anyone who knows about special ed knows that the teachers work very long hours. Mm -hmm. And um, a lot of times you don't leave mm -hmm. the school campus until after dark and you get very little sleep. I, many, many nights I was up till two or three or sometimes pulling all nighters. Wow writing up uh, educational plans. Mm -hmm. So I just chronically sleep deprived and I told him, no, nah, no way, I can't, I can't do that. And he says, come on, baby, you gotta do it for me. <laughs> <laughs> my, that's the lowest I can make my voice go <laughs> to imitate Ray. But uh, he and I played in uh, salsa and Latin jazz bands together before, so he's my brother. So I said, yeah, okay, I'll do it until Don gets well. But with my ethnomusicology background, mm -hmm. my purpose is to try to educate the listenership about what they're listening to, yeah. who the artist is, or the composer, or the genre of music, where it is in history, things like that, instead of, I mean, what, what gets me about a lot of radio commercial is that you listen to all this stuff, and you have no idea who you're listening to. Sure. It's like, oh, that sounds good, but I don't know anything else now. Yeah. yeah. And... No commercial as well as I don't know what else, but I I have to know what I'm listening to if I like it or yeah. if I don't like it so that I never listen to it again. Yeah, I mean, you got to keep the audience informed. I think, I guess that's kind of in your nature as an educator, right? Yeah, and, and it's music therapy for myself. Nice. Mm -hmm. So the, the first night that I did the show, I said, well, you know, someone has to run the control, someone has to tell me what to do when, and, mm -hmm. and so, yeah, Charles Husson does that for who me. also has one of the most pleasing voices that you will ever oh, yes, hear he does. yeah yeah and and he's uh very very thorough and you have to be that way to make everything run like sure. literally like, like clockwork here so the first night i i did that first hour um i looked at don's collection on the wall so mixed in with all the jazz a, a number of very very good brazilian cds and so i just danced out of this station that same night and so don came out of the hospital and uh the 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 gm at the time michael titterton liked what i was doing so i guess he, they liked the educational aspect of it so he said please stay on mm -hmm. and uh, don you know because of his health was recommended to just keep the jazz show and leave the brazilian one to me so he was very happy with what, what i was doing too so i felt doubly blessed and it's been, it's been just a joy. Awesome. And it's hard to believe that I've finished uh, nine and a half years already. Awesome. It feels like just a couple of, just maybe a couple of years ago I started. We have the opposite this. experience where it feels like we've been doing this podcast for nine and a half years, but really, <laughs> really it's only been a couple of years. Yeah. yeah. Uh, so we originally got in touch with you hoping to talk about um, the passing of Bossa Nova legend Joao Gilberto mm -hmm. earlier this summer. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, as you know, uh, music, art, culture never really exists in a vacuum. It's reflective of the society that creates it. 
And this quote I saw in uh, an obituary that The Economist did for Gilberto, uh, it seems even more timely in light of all the recent news coming out of the Amazon. And I guess what the the most generously backhanded way to describe uh, President Bolsonaro, uh, his apathy about the whole situation. Um, as Caetano Veloso told The Guardian in 2013, what was revolutionary about Bossa Nova is that a third world country was creating high art on its own terms and selling that art around the world. It remains a dream of what an ideal civilization can create. The dream did not last long. A military coup in 1964 brought the curtain down on the Bossa Nova era. Now Brazil's restored democracy is headed by Jair Bolsonaro, a socially conservative Pentecostalist who is openly nostalgic for military rule. In its sensitivity, disciplined search for perfection, and openness to foreign influence, Bossa Nova was everything that Mr. Bolsonaro's vision of Brazil, vulgar, hate-filled, and nationalistic, is not. You know, putting aside uh, current affairs and politics to later, Bossa Nova, literally the new thing. What is it in your estimation, in your experience, that makes it so magical, so special, so enrapturing that it has this effect on people? Well, for one thing, it's uh, soothing and quiet. And it's the ideal lounge lizard music for mm. like a fine dining yeah. place. Mm -hmm. And unfortunately, it gets or, derided sometimes as, you know, by people who don't know better as, you know, more like music, elevator music. But until you listen carefully. Yeah. Well, one thing is that a lot of Bossa Nova tunes have become jazz standards all mm -hmm. over the world. And the reason why musicians like it is that it's sophisticated melodically, rhythmically, harmonically. And then if you, once you get to analyze the lyrics, it makes it even more beautiful because the full name of the genre is Samba Bossa Nova, which means new style of samba. Mm. And so samba is directly... Uh, derived from the slave uh, existence. And so in ma many ways it's been likened to the American blues where it's the black man's lament mm. and they'll sing with over you know, very loud drumming and uh, rhythmic and harmonic instruments which are stringed. The guitar which plays a, a lower, uh, what do you call it, a, Arpeggio mm -hmm. and uh, and the cavaquinho, which is the the Brazilian, they call him the uncle of the ukulele. Mm -hmm. And in in samba, it's played rhythmically. Mm -hmm. So it it does solo sometimes in other genres, but basically in samba, it's it's usually played very rhythmically. And so and the lyrics of samba and they're sung at the top of your voice. You're blasting your lungs out, and they're usually laments or you know social commentary or you know what's wrong and you know a lot of times they make fun of things yeah. so yeah in many ways like the blues so it's a musical expression of the black person's lament mm -hmm. whereas bossa nova is basically uh upper middle class the celebration the, it's its origin is is from there, from the southern zone of Rio de Janeiro, which is the, the, the beach resort area of Copacabana. That's where the, the posh nightclubs were, the piano bars, and things like that. So if you ever see the, the movie called Bossa Nova, hosted by Roberto Menescal, who wrote the song Little Boat mm -hmm. and a bunch of others, that he 
goes and shows the different apartment buildings where where they used to go and practice after their own gigs. And so the reason why it's so soft is because it was late at night and they're practicing in someone's apartment. So they had to sing softly. The yeah. guitar was played very, very quietly. And basically the drum set was just brushes on a snare. Hmm. So not a whole big drum set. And you're not supposed to be like that. Right. Like samba, so, the big parade. Yeah, the, the, big, yeah, yeah. the samba as you know it, like like what happens during carnival. Sure. So it's it's quiet and it was from that that particular part of the city. And also the all the players were were white. Mm. They're white Brazilians. So this is kinda like you know, and, and Joao Gilberto is is kinda like the Brazilian Elvis in a way, you know, you taking the blues, historically the black person's lament music and reappropriating it. Yeah. Not reappropriating it to a white audience, well, but so repackaging it. Scripting yeah, it. Even yeah. though he he was, you know, ethnically white, yeah. he comes from the state of Bahia, which is often called the most African place in, in the Western hemisphere. Mm. So that West African culture is everything. Yeah. It permeates everything there. And um his ex-wife Astrud who sang the girl from Ipanema she's from there too oh. as as is Gal Costa as is Caetano Veloso and Carlinhos Brown and all these other people from maybe like the, the Mississippi Delta region yeah because like the the Memphis yeah, yeah. <laughs> Memphis in Brazil yeah that makes a lot of sense mm -hmm. okay Alabama Louisiana yeah mm -hmm. um so you know people know for example you know I'm sure all our listeners out there have heard the girl from Ipanema and they've yeah. probably heard of uh, if not Joao Gilberto, they probably heard of, you know, Antonio Carlos Jobim. Yeah. If you were teaching Bossa Nova 101 or Brazilian Music 101, who are who do you highlight? Like, who do you put on the Mount Rushmore? What are you telling everybody they got to listen to? Antonio Carlos Jobim, his writing partner, Vinicius de Moraes, who wrote the lyrics, um, Roberto Menescal, Carlos Lira, um, Ronaldo Boscoli, who was Menescal's partner. Um, Nara Leão. Uh, Sergio Mendes. Oh, he just came. Yeah. He was here a few years ago, Sergio Mendes. Yeah, he, he was just right? here yeah. in November. Yeah. Yeah, I went to see him, and then he came uh, two years before. I think two years ago, I went with, I went with my mom. It was a, it was yeah. a fun date. <laughs> yeah, the Blaisdell concert yeah. on it rained real hard after that. Yeah, I remember and that. People were so happy they <laughs> ran off in the rain. <laughs> It's hard. It, you, My Brazilian friends are. You can't happy. be sad when you listen to. I mean, no. Or if you or if you are sad, it's like a good sad. So dodge I don't. I have another question. Um, we mentioned earlier that uh, off air that you lived in Rio de Janeiro for a few years. Um, could you talk maybe a little bit about what that was like, and then uh, if you've been back recently, maybe how it's changed over the last few years? Yeah, I lived there between eighty and eighty three, and lived in I actually did live in Ipanema hmm. with at the, so you were the girl from Ipanema I was the Japanese girl from Ipanema <laughs> and so walk five blocks to get to the beach and would pass by the bar that Jobim and Vinicius Jimaraj saw uh, Elo Pinheiro that's her name she's an actual person watching her walk to the beach as a teenager and so I would yeah walk that same route but it was you know, it's a bustling place. It would be like the, the Waikiki mm. uh, or maybe the 
I don't know, like over here we have Waikiki and Ala Moana that are adjacent sure. neighborhood beaches. Over there they have like about four or five of them all oh, wow. one after the other after the other. And so Iparema has less tourism than Copacabana does, but it's still considered a chic district sure. with solid, solid, densely populated apartments. But the 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 sidewalks are mosaic and people actually go and they jog along and they walk their dogs and they push their baby strollers and and the, the beach itself is very wide you can walk down you can jump off the wall and then walk and walk and walk and walk like a good two minutes to get to the water sometimes oh. yeah because you're stopping to talk to people but you keep walking the, the beaches over here are narrow by comparison mm. so it was uh musically very very rich it was at the end of the military dictatorship and they had uh, a president who was the, uh, I don't know, for lack of a better term, puppet of the military. Mm -hmm. And um, so I had, I, I came back here in 83. Sure. And I didn't go back there until two years ago. Oh. And everything had changed so much. Hundred Like 180 degrees? Um, or not quite? Yeah, when I got quite. out of the airplane... I looked around and I said, I don't remember. I don't remember. That building was not here. That, that. Mm. But the good thing is that uh, I went with a small family group, mainly to meet our relatives. Mm -hmm. But we, we took five days over to go to Rio during the week so our relatives could work and then we'd go back and party with them on the weekend. But our, our tour guide and driver, limo driver, was my former neighbor in Ipanema. Oh, wow. So he took me to the old apartment building I used to live in and it looks completely different. It was totally redone. I mean, it's like coming back to Waikiki. Yeah. If you're oh, if you don't I, I come yeah. often, you'll see that this this changed and that changed. And so pretty much the only thing that was the same were the, the streets. Mm. How <laughs> how how is the how has the music changed and, and what are you finding from you know, um, contemporary more more contemporary Brazilian music? I, I Brazilian wasn't culture. able to to get out and listen to music, but my understanding is that the area that's right near the school that I went to, the the university, Federal University of Rio de Janeiro School of Music, which is downtown, the rest of the campus is close out to the airport, mm -hmm. and uh, close to the School of Music, where wherever you see images of Rio, there's these. It looks like a Roman aqueduct with a cable car sure. running on top of a trolley running on top of it. That's the neighborhood, and so. The very, very next few blocks was you know, a kind of sketchy area at the outskirts of downtown, but that place has undergone a renaissance, and so they've, it's an area called uh, Lapa, and so there are a lot of new holes in the wall that have become havens for, for small groups to play music, and the, the Shoro genre has, has also popped up, and that's your perfect sidewalk music, and uh, you have your whole set of of standard songs and people can come and sit in, but it's like uh, the only classical popular genre that you have to know those tunes, and everybody can everybody can can just join in. Mm -hmm. But you have to know those tunes. You have to be able to read too. Yeah. So on, uh, similarly, you know, um, you meant we were talking earlier about the divergence between American jazz and, Bra and Brazilian jazz and the samba connection. How exactly did Bossa Nova's, uh, so many of them become 
jazz standards. I remember my first encounter, um, you know, in ninth grade jazz band, our, our, we, our instructor handed out Corcovado to mm-hmm. sight read and like, whoa, this is like nothing I've ever heard before. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it totally, like it totally blew my mind. But I, th- I feel like that if Americans get exposed to it, it's probably through nor- what they think of, you know, ordinary jazz. They don't really subdivide it out. What are your, I mean, what are you, what are your, well, I think your you thoughts? Could, you could th- thank Sandgats for going down there or bringing those musicians to this country. And uh, the other one was Sergio Mendes, mm, okay. who he had the Brazil, uh, he had a Brazil 65, then he had 66, and then he would change the numbers as he'd go along. I never but knew that. he's got this fabulous longevity over 50 years of playing and he had a um, trio or quartet called Bossa Rio and we played uh, uh, occasionally Sergio Mendes and Bossa Rio so th- those guys I think were the ones that can be credited for bringing it to the US there was also the guitarist Bola Sechi and we have his famous performances at Monterey Jazz Festival mm. And so those were the early guys that cool. that made that made it, you know, worldwide. Yeah, it's worldwide true music. world music. Mm-hmm. Very cool. What made you, you know, want to leave? Like, did you ever consider staying when your appointed time was up? You said earlier uh, off air that you were there for a fellowship. Like, did, did you consider staying? No, because at that time the the economy was really bad i mean it just got worse and worse and worse and worse as i as i lived there and even though the the rotary international that sent me there with this the fellowship they had a a a certain amount set by uh i guess people in the the local brazilian rotary uh, rio de janeiro rotary that they gave me an allowance for estimated rent uh, room and board, things like that, and and that should it get to the point of needing more, then I would have to go through them to possibly ask for an increase. But they they basically paid for everything for one year. Then after that, and after my uh, uh, courses were done, the two semesters, and I elected to stay. Mm-hmm. I even went to Argentina once to to get a tourist visa and come back, and I did that, and I got married, and so we're going to try to stay there. But since the economy was getting so bad, weekly, weekly, and I, I started singing in a piano bar. I was mm-hmm. teaching private English classes. Uh, my, my music professor became my English student, private English student, um, that what I would earn that week and buy my groceries at the, the open market in the, the neighborhood square, go to the grocery store for the packaged goods and um yeah they every, everything you had to go to the store you had to go to the markets all the time run all your errands on foot go to the butcher the fish market the bakery things like that what you earned one week would not buy the same amount of things the following week Oof. following week and every week i believe it was tuesday night at the seven o'clock news they would give the new quotation of the cruzeiro, which in those days was the monetary unit, uh, the rate of the cruzeiro to the dollar. 
And every week it would go down, 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 and more and more and more cruiseros to each dollar. And I would sit in front of the TV and I'd get all pessimistic. And you know what came on the TV right after the news? Magnum PI. Did you get homesick? I would cry. Cry because I could see the coal owls and I'd see my friends working as extras and the and then, oh, my God, I'm never going to get home. So, yeah, by that time, I had had my, my first child born there. And then once you become a parent, your whole outlook on life changes. Sure. And so it was like, no, I don't want my son learning how to walk on sidewalks where people do not curb their dogs and things like that. So, uh, yeah, things were, had changed for me. So I was ready to come home. Plus, um, someone who was... Uh, we call him this clairvoyant, well, I guess for lack of a better term, they call them shamans, yeah. The the West African religion, syncretist religion. Mm-hmm. Someone channeled the spirit and they told me that I needed to come back because there was someone at home that needed me. And my grandmother was uh, close to, to 90 years old at that time. So I said, oh, that's grandma, I got to go back. So we did. Yeah. Got back here in July of 1983. So, you know, for those of our listeners who maybe aren't as tuned in to what's going on in Brazil right now, um, you know, we've got uh, Jair Bolsonaro, who is basically the Trump of Brazil, except maybe worse. Uh, he's sort of plunging the country into crisis with, uh, you know, um, scandal after scandal, including uh, apparently selling the Amazon uh, to cattle ranchers who are now deforesting and burning it. Um, so Brazil's really front and center right now. Like, uh, what are you hearing from people who are on the ground in Brazil about what the situation there is? Um, they're just horrified. Most of them, with the exception of one of my relatives, but otherwise everyone else is, they have this, um, expression called, uh, requesting death. You know, oh. it's like like Josh we say in this expression. country, like we say in this country, it was shoot me, oh. just shoot me, yeah, that kind of thing. But um, thinking about the Amazon on fire, yeah. it reminds me of this conversation that I had with the husband of one of my friends, and this was yeah within the year before I came back. So this was eight had to be eighty two. I already had that kid, mm-hmm. and so we were talking about preserving the Amazon as it is the last large rainforest in the world. And so his attitude was, well, look, you guys went and destroyed your forest. They're not wrong. Why, why are you putting the pressure on us? Oh, hypocritical Americans. Yeah. Tell us like, do you guys, you compare notes about who's worse, Bolsonaro or Trump? Um, yeah, they'll they'll say things. They'll they'll just say that Bolsonaro is the the southern hemisphere, the Trump of the southern hemisphere. Duterte says what? <laughs> uh, we noticed when we were reading your bio that you occasionally give presentations and lectures on the Portuguese language's influence on uh, Hawaii Pigeon English. Um, oh yeah, I'm hot into that right now because there are a bunch of threads going on 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 Facebook and the what is it? Um, remember Oahu from the past and so people are asking about uh, certain expressions and the the particular thread I was referring to started off with uh, I told my daughter duck soup the other day and she had no idea what I was talking about and then all these people started jumping in 
with all these phrases that you don't hear anymore. Mm -hmm. And many, it, it turned into an old time pigeon uh, expression discussion. And a lot of them were Portuguese derived. Okay. And so uh, I have this study that I put together along with, uh, I coordinated with a dear departed friend of mine, Herbert Carlos, who was a local Portuguese community historian. And he had also lived in Brazil. He lived in Brazil for six years. And so he and I uh, compared notes on, we made, we made a list of these things that people say here in Hawaii that really sound like Brazilians learning English. <laughs> they say the same things. Okay. Like they use the word stay for is, for temporary status or location. That's why we say stay. I always thought that was okay. so weird when I moved here. There are three verbs to be in Portuguese. Like yeah. there are two in Spanish, ser and estar. And in Portuguese, there's, there are three, ser, estar, and ficar. And ficar literally means stay. Mm. Like if you're saying, tell your kid or your dog, stay there, you say fica, fica aí. And so that you will literally say, where's the bank? Where stays the bank? Onde fica o banco? So that and many, 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 many others, if you send me your um, email address, I will, I will yeah, send you a cool. copy of, of the study and things like uh, even pronunciation sure. of words like, especially if you go to the other islands and yeah. you listen to some of the people who are like out in the country and I, I got a bunch of friends and, and relatives who will say things like, um, um, you're going to take the vegetables up the elevator. That does sound Portuguese, yeah. And it's the eh sound mm. instead of eh, the vegetables, the elevator. And th there are so many, the, the pronunciation of words that have str and scr those consonant blends sure in those particular words the s is pronounced like an sh and so you will hear this even in the newscasters who are striving for for a very neutral sounding mm -hmm. pronunciation uh, dialect but it'll always come out when you say like uh, um you go straight down a street Huh. To the supermarket yeah. for buy groceries. When I read that, I thought like, well, I've, you know, malasadas and Portuguese jokes, which are unfortunate. But uh, th the other one I've heard too is, um, is it true that in pigeon, you know, for example, um, the use of one? Like yes, that, one is, that is Portuguese. Yeah, because the same way, like un, una just got translated oh. directly. Like, yeah, they do yeah. that in Spanish. Oh, you host one podcast. Uno, uno podcast yeah. over. <laughs> Mm -hmm. Very interesting. Yeah, it's, it's, it's that same. <laughs> it is exactly that same okay. thing. That's fascinating. Very cool. That and um, even words that, even words like shishi. Really? Go make shishi. Go urinate. Yeah. I mean, it's P. It's P, right? It's a colloquial word. It is the same thing in, Braz in Brazil, in Portugal, and other Portuguese-speaking countries. And it's oh. X-I-X-I with accent on the final I. So a lot of people here think that shishi is Japanese. I did, yeah. I always thought I always did. But yeah. uh, I mean, the the term is oshiko in Japanese. So there's still that she sound uh. there. But part of see, we collaborate. Herbert and I collaborated with the the pigeon researchers at UH Manoa, yeah. and Kent Sakoda is is one of them. Hawaii Creole English. <laughs> yes, exactly. And so things like um, 
not only was it on the plantation, and because that 80% of all of the Lunas, the plantation mm-hmm. overseers, supervisors, were from the Azores or Madeira, and that those Portuguese-speaking immigrants being ethnically white, they rose on the plantation hierarchy. Yeah, that's really interesting because, you know, as I've read it, the Portuguese were sort of like the original white people beyond, like the, or maybe the original second-class citizen. Like uh, they were um, had some European in them, so they were able to pass uh, and therefore get higher up the ladder than like say a lot of the other Asian cultures. Yeah, they're like the Italians and the Irish on the mainland. Yeah, that's really uh, fascinating so, to me because I was in the impression yeah. from like the Portuguese or Portuguese jokes, as I should say, um, that the Portuguese were sort of always yeah. low on the social ladder. Uh, but now it sounds like it's not the case. But who do you make fun of? You make fun of the boss. But yeah, I was going to say is like you, maybe everybody's that's ripping why, on the boss. You know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there's there's a whole lot of things going on that um that what's the other word uh, garut you don't hear that too much garut but uh yeah it literally is the word uh, garoto which is boy like garota jipanema the girl from ipanema um but over here we use the term garut to mean either a mischievous child or your lackey the guy oh. who goes and runs all your errands for you uh, and then the word for for instead of two mm-hmm. And what Herbert used as his observation when he came back from Brazil is he was standing in line at some fast food restaurant. The guy in front of him tells the the counter person, I like one cheeseburger for go. And so instead of, I want a cheeseburger to go. Yeah. So it's two instead of, four instead of two. And that's why we say that. And Spanish speakers learning English will also say the same thing. They'll use they use four instead of two. The world is a lot smaller than you think it is. Like mm-hmm. it, there's all these connections. I feel like I just want to do like another episode on the Brazilian influence. I'm I'm sorry, the, the yeah, Portuguese Portuguese yeah. influence mm-hmm. on uh, Hawaiian mm-hmm. pigeon. And the, even though you know my experience is Brazilian, those things still come. Sure. I'm just hearing Brazilians talk, and then when they read that study, they go, yeah, 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 and so. If you ever hear somebody say, if can, can, if no can, no can. Sure. That's exactly the same uh, phrase in Portuguese. Si pode, pode. Si não pode, não pode. I think that should be our episode title. Mm -hmm. If can, can. If no can, no can. That's terrific. Mm -hmm. Um, This is a question question we ask all our guests, and I'll I'll segue in by another fun fact we found on the HPR website. Uh, The Brazilian Experience webpage, I couldn't get it to open because my computer was slow, but it does have a link to a pau de queijo recipe. Yeah. Um, so this is something we ask all our guests. Mm-hmm. If you had to make one restaurant recommendation, and it doesn't have to be a Brazilian restaurant or a Latin restaurant, but if you do, that's good. That's bonus points because mm. who who better to ask? But if somebody's coming to Hawaii, what's the one or Honolulu specifically? Where do you tell them they have to eat? Um, well, it depends on what kind of food they want. If if they want to eat Hawaiian food, I would send them to Waihole Poi Factory, or if they want to stay in town. Helena's on School Street. Mm-hmm. Those okay. are my two favorites. And what about, do we have Brazilian restaurant? We have a food truck. A food truck. No, okay. sure, but I've never, I've never been to it. And I have a, a couple of friends who make Brazilian food to go to cater. Mm-hmm. cater events. What's your favorite restaurant here? Like if you're just, you know, going out to eat or whatever, where are you going? Or I'm going to take my friends to. Yeah, Boisa. yeah, exactly. Yeah, there's two places of the two Burmese restaurants in town. <laughs> yeah, those are my two as Dagon well. Dagon and uh, 
and Rangoon. No wonder you look familiar. Because <laughs> <laughs> my father was in, in Northern Burma during oh, World wow. War Two. Yeah, as a um, military intelligence interpreter translator. I go to Rangoon and Dagon like. Like, I bet they get, like, 3% of my gross salary, like, right off the top every year. <laughs> well, most of their customers are people who I've taken there. Because I'll walk into, I'll walk into Dagon and I'll see people who I took there yeah. with their friends. And the funny, the funny thing about uh, Sai, who owns the restaurants, he and his wife are from the Kachin tribe, which... Is from northern Burma, and so they're in exactly the same province where my dad wow. was. Wow. Small world. Yeah, and very so small world. I, t- I took him there often in the last five years of his life. What's your favorite dish at Dagon or Rangoon? Um, anything coconut curry. Mm, Josh turned me on in the coconut curry. And the, the pork, Indian rice. I always get the uh, the Rangoon or the Dagon tea leaf salad. I just I could eat that three times a day. Mm. Yeah, every, everybody, I mean, that's in Burmese Food 101. Well, Sandy, thank you so much for being here. Uh, folks out there, if you're listening, uh, make sure you listen to the Brazilian Experience. It's 6 to 8 p.m. on KHPR Honolulu, KKUAYLUKU, Hilo, KHPH Kailua-Kona, and KIPL Lihue, collectively, the stations of HPR1, with translators K203C and Waimea, and K203B9. Nah, I, I, I can't remember that part, but I got the other stuff. I've, I've never had to say that, so <laughs> I, I don't know it. I listen. What about Waikapu? They don't say the Waikapu. No, I, I don't think I know oh, Waikapu. It's, it's in there somewhere. Um, any final thoughts? Any last words of wisdom you'd like to share with our audience? Yeah, the Brazilian experience is now archived. <gasps> you didn't know that? I did not. Oh, yeah. I'm, I, I keep forgetting to mention it, but I know I mention it at least once every show. It's on Mixcloud.com. So mixcloud.com slash Sandy Tsukiyama, the dot Brazilian experience, something like that. But I mean, I have a hard time. But if you go to the, the Facebook page of Brazilian experience on Hawaii Public Radio, every week I post that link. I was just on that today. I will, of course, uh, when we post this episode, we'll link to everything. We'll make okay. Mixcloud, Facebook, et cetera. You're the only radio show I can say I probably listen to every single week. Folks, if you don't know the joy of coming around uh, the point in Hawaii Kai as the sun's going down out over the South Shore and listening to Sandy Sukiyama's uh, dulcet tones that she's playing on Brazilian Experience, you have not truly lived. Sandy Sukiyama, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, again, Brazilian Experience every Sunday, 6 to 8 p.m., HPR 1, 88.1. Also support local radio. Uh, public radio specifically, Pledge Drive's coming up. Uh, we volunteered, and uh, Sandy, again, it's been just such a pleasure to have you. Thank you. Sandy Sukiyama, ladies and gentlemen. More in a minute. Blue White Podcast. Obrigado a vocês. Wow, 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 wow. Are we recording? Yeah. <laughs> that's wow. just your general thoughts, wow. regardless of whether we're wow. recording or not. wow, wow. You folks, just, that's how much Josh enjoyed our interview. Folks, it didn't they, even matter if we were on air or not. I know they say never meet your heroes, but so far, okay. Um, Who's our other ones? Dan Cook. Eh. He's a nice guy. He, great guy. Super nice guy. Kumu Hans. Kumu Hans. good people. Talk about a hero. Yeah. I referred somebody to that episode of the podcast the other day, and because I wasn't on it, it didn't feel self-aggrandizing yeah. at all. And then they listened to it, and they were like, wow, that's it. 
it's actually now, uh, thanks to you guys out there, it's now our number one most played episode, which is like shows you how much people really care about what's going on at Mount Akea. And want and want to hear stuff beyond, you know, talking points, news headlines sure. that just get regurgitated over and over sure. again. People. Uh, I was, I don't know where I was. I was, I was at like a bar or something and they were playing the news in the background and there was like the pro TMT, uh, lobby had bought a segment on local news. And I was like, is this really where we are that we're literally propagandizing like construction projects at this point? I mean, don't get me wrong. I think there's plenty of merit. Uh, there's plenty of, of merits to be debated about the value of, of the 30 meter telescope. Um, and I think that was acknowledged even on the episode that you guys did, you and Kumu Hans and, and his two uh, students. But it's weird that we're in a place where we're like, hi, I'd like to buy some time on the local news to show my well, project. You know, because, they're, because they get to use the state of Hawaii law enforcement as their private security, they've got a lot of loose change lying around you to see spend that, on PR. The parking signs that they put, that it said, it said no parking, stopping, and standing. And somebody was like, well, that's, that's easy. I'm not breaking all, I'm not doing all of those things at one time. So that's an unenforceable sign. Grammar dummy. one, reality zero. Yeah. Anyways. So folks, I'm particularly obrigado today. Thank you. Yes. Mucho mahalo. Yeah. Uh, to mix a little bit of uh, my Spanish and my Hawaiian languages. Spigen. 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 Yeah. Uh, thanks to Sandy. Yeah. Thanks to all of you. And thanks to the fine folks at Hawaii Public Radio for hosting us. Absolutely. For, for dealing with our BS as usual. And thanks to Royal Thai Garden. I just took three people to Royal Thai for the first time on Sunday. Yeah. And not only did we get that dope Blue Hawaii discount, they were all like, they were kind of Thai food snobs and they were all like, all right, yeah, no, I, I get it. This is the best Thai food I've ever had. It's not debatable at some point. So go check them out. It's a beautiful thing. Thank you to all of you for listening. We're looking forward to a fun fall season, and I think we have a pretty cool uh, next couple of weeks planned and potentially a very exciting announcement, including maybe another live show. Live show. Folks. We'll see. Ciao.
Que é pra acabar com esse negócio de viver longe de mim Não quero mais esse negócio de você viver assim Vamos deixar desse negócio de você viver sem mim Não quero mais esse negócio de viver